Babies are a wonderful part of life, but since 1973 in the United States, they've legally been made part of death. Their mass extermination has challenged family life in America. At the time of the writing of this book, over 18 million human beings have been slaughtered and butchered in abortion chambers all across this land of the free. Free, that is, except for unborn children. What has happened? To get the big picture, let us sharpen our historical focus. Until 1967, virtually every state in the Union had been influenced by 19th century abortion law reform led by the American Medical Association. You know, the organisation that is run, or used to be run, in terms of the Hippocratic Oath, in which practitioners for 2,500 years swore never to abort a child. How ironic. In the 1820s, the human ovum was discovered. With this discovery, it was observed that the fertilisation of the ovum with sperm produced life. Before, human life was considered present by the AMA at the point of quickening, the time when the mother felt the baby move. Not until then could the doctor be sure the mother was actually pregnant. Physicians mounted a huge campaign, what one writer has called the Physician's Crusade Against Abortion. Every state adopted strong anti-abortion laws as a result. Over 100 years later, this same organisation was just as strongly attacking the very laws it had helped to draft. Some say it was the thalidomide tragedy in England. Thalidomide was a tranquilizer taken by pregnant women that produced horrible deformities. Doctors in the West started calling for eugenic, good race, abortions, removing before birth all defective. Perhaps this was the cause for such a sweeping change. I rather think it was the influence of an evolutionary view of man that destroyed the notion that man is created in the image of God. Once this is lost, murder becomes easy. The sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder, loses its connection to the first principle of a biblical covenant, the sovereignty of God. At any rate, by the late 1960s, many states started to incorporate pro-death legislation. Planned Parenthood changed its famous 1964 statement, quote, abortion kills the life of a baby once it has begun, unquote, to read that, quote, abortion is necessary to prevent unwanted children, unquote, in 1968. By the end of 1970, 18 states had passed abortion statutes. Keep in mind, however, that these states only allowed abortion in exceptional cases. By May of 1972, the New York State Legislature repealed the permissive abortion law it had passed a couple of years earlier. Then, guess what? Governor Nelson Rockefeller, running against the majority of the legislature, vetoed the bill and kept the abortion chambers open. This was not surprising. The Rockefeller Foundation and the Ford Foundation poured about a quarter of a billion dollars into family planning propaganda, 1965 
1976, second only to the federal government's expenditures. What was happening? The tide was changing. I believe Liberals in the judicial system knew they had to strike fast before John Q. Citizen figured out what was happening. As a matter of fact, in November 1972, North Dakota and Michigan attempted to pass abortion legislation and failed by 3 to 1 and 2 to 1 margins. There is no question that popular consensus was turning. The Liberals had tried and tried in their attempt to force a new human holocaust on the public. Enter the Supreme Court. Members of this elite body had wanted pro-death legislation for decades. William Douglas, appointed by Franklin Roosevelt in 1939, had made no secret that he desired to attack existing laws preventing abortion. Their chance came with the infamous case Roe v. Wade on January 22, 1973. On January 22, 1973, this court handed down and foisted on the people of this land the most damaging legislation to life. The states could no longer pass anti-abortion statutes. The decision illegally legalised murder, for murder under the US Constitution can be defined and prosecuted only at the state and local level. By withdrawing the jurisdiction of local civil governments to define abortion as murder during the first six months of pregnancy, the Supreme Court thereby abolished the defence of abortion as murder altogether for these children. The justices ruled, quote, The right of privacy, whether it be founded in the 14th Amendment's concept of personal liberty and restriction upon state action, as we feel it is, or, as the District Court determined in the Ninth Amendment's reservation of rights to the people, is broad enough to encompass a woman's decision whether or not to terminate her pregnancy. The hardening sad effects of such a decision have been felt everywhere. Unfortunately, this decision, the decision of this court, overturned every state and local law in the US that prohibited abortion. Kurt Young, in his excellent book, The Least of These, summarises the court's determination. 1. During the first third of pregnancy, abortion is legal for any reason as long as a licensed physician performs a procedure. 2. During the middle third of pregnancy, abortion is also legal for any reason, but states may pass laws intended to protect the health of the mother. This is a concession to the fact women face increased risk of medical complications from abortion as their pregnancy progresses. Thus, states may require that these abortions be performed in facilities with medical equipment for emergencies. 3. During the last months of pregnancy, when the baby is clearly able to survive outside the womb, is viable if given the best medical treatment available, the court ruled that a state, quote, may, if it chooses, regulate and even proscribe abortion except where it is necessary in appropriate medical judgment for the preservation of the life or health of the mother. End quote. Some effects. How did all of this affect the family? Listen to Linda Bird Frankie, an editor for Newsweek magazine, quote, There was no doubt when I became pregnant that life was right there in my womb. Left undisturbed, that blob of cells and tissue would have grown into a baby. 
The process was beginning, and I chose to end it. I was totally unprepared for my mounting ambivalence as the time for the abortion came closer. An ambivalence that turned into grief and guilt for a period after the abortion was over. The little ghost haunted me for about six months before it disappeared, and after it was gone, I even missed it a bit. But as my children grow and take up more and more of my time and energy, I realise emphatically that the addition of another child for me would have been negative rather than positive. End quote. For this woman, another person's life had become worse than his death, so the execution of the innocent had become preferable to granting a continuation of the legacy of life. It's like a conversation I had with an elderly woman who drove up next to me while I was picketing in front of the local abortion chamber. The lady was extremely upset. I asked what was wrong. She said, quote, I can't believe you're out here wasting your time when you ought to be trying to persuade young girls not to get pregnant, end quote. I told her all about different literature that her local chapter of Christian Action Council passes out in the schools, but she wouldn't hear me. Again, she said, quote, But you don't need to be out here. Get on over to the kids who are going to ruin their lives by getting pregnant, end quote. I didn't know what else to say. Finally, I said, quote, Ma'am, I guess the main difference between you and me is that you think pregnancy is worse than death. I believe death is worse than pregnancy, even if it is unwanted. End quote. She slammed on the gas pedal, leaving me standing in a swirl of dust and smoke. Even though I was coughing, I could still manage a little smile and say to myself, I got her. If she refuses to change her thinking, God will get her too, as he will get everyone who thinks as she does, votes as she does, and abandons the unborn to the medically certified butchers and boilers, saline solution abortions, as she does. A lot of people would like to think that there is no hell. A lot of people would like to think that unborn babies are not human. It is understandable why there is a lot of overlap between these two groups of thinkers and why there will be a lot of overlap between them in eternity. The attitude that pregnancy is worse than death prevails everywhere. In 1984, the American Life Lobby ran the following statement indicating some of the effects. Quote, 100 uses for a dead or alive baby. A workman in Wichita, Kansas, tossing bags of pathological waste into an incinerator from Wesley Medical Center, owned and operated by the United Methodist Church, discovered bags contained bodies of dead babies. For years, the medical center had been sending remains of aborted babies to be burned with other trash. Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Police found four children in a parking lot behind Mill Medical Center playing with plastic jars containing aborted fetuses. They told the officers they were throwing little people. Not all bodies are trashed. Babies' bodies are sold by the bag, $25 a batch, up to $5,500 a pound. Sales of aborted preborns brought 
Washington, D.C. General Hospital, $886,000 in 1976. Money was used to buy TV sets and cookies for visiting professors. In Richmond, Virginia, abortion centers used a trash compactor to mash 100 babies' bodies, which were tied up in plastic bags and tossed in trash bins. Dogs dragged bags away and fought over the contents. In Cincinnati, Ohio, an abortery allowed dense smoke to pour from its chimney. When the firemen arrived on the scene, they were told, We're burning babies. Massachusetts Supreme Court ruled goldfish could not be awarded as prizes because that would violate the state's anti-cruelty laws. The same court upheld mandated state funding of abortions. In California, babies aborted at six months were submerged in jars of liquid to see if they could breathe through their skin. They couldn't. An Ohio medical research company tested brains and hearts of 100 fetuses as part of a $300,000 pesticide contract. Dr. Gerano Dominguez writes, On any Monday, you can see about 30 garbage bags with fetal material in them along the sidewalks of abortion clinics in New York. Oddly, there are people, yes, even Christian people, who will be repulsed more by my listing of these horrors than by the horrors themselves. The effects of abortion have been devastating. Words can hardly describe the horrors created in our society by this one piece of legislation. In this chapter, the principle has to do with life. Keeping in mind the covenantal structure of the family, the principles start over following the outline of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sixth Commandment, quote, You shall not murder, unquote. Why does God forbid murder? Because he images his transcendence in man. So the Sixth Commandment parallels the first, also teaching the principle of transcendence. Since man images God, he should not destroy another human who doth the same. To do so is tantamount to attempting to strike out at God. So God speaks very clearly about how life and death are determined. Here is perhaps the most damaging effect of Roe versus Wade. Due process. The infamous decision affected our entire judicial system. What do I mean? The common law principle of innocent until proven guilty has been reversed. It's not just that you're guilty until proven innocent, it's that you're guilty if you can be proven innocent. The acts of unborn babies are neutral before God, Romans 9. Man's only period of neutral acts, yet it is only after they are born and begin to be accountable for their external actions before God that American civil law protects their lives. In our land, a person is supposed to be guaranteed a trial by jury before he is executed. This points to the principle I'm trying to underscore in this chapter. God owns life, not man. The whole notion of a trial by jury originated from the biblical concept of due process. In other words, God owns life and a trial by jury is a check and balance to make sure to make sure God's judgments are carried out. Instead, modern law has shifted away from any acknowledgement of an absolute standard. 
The Supreme Court has placed the decision of life in the hands of the mother and taken it from God. Now the precedent has been set. Since one group of human beings has been classified, quote, less than human, unquote, why can't it happen to another group? It has been discovered that in the Soviet Union, insane asylums are full of Christians because believers in God are considered insane. After all, they have all been educated in Marxist schools according to Marxist logic. So what else could faith in God point to if not insanity? Logic proves atheism, so these people are dangerously illogical. They are a menace to society. Why couldn't the Supreme Court someday decide that Christians are a, quote, menace to the society, unquote? It happened before, you know, in the Roman Empire. Biblical Law God owns life. Only his word should determine who can and who should live. Consider a very important passage on the subject. Quote, If men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no lasting harm follows, he shall surely be punished accordingly as the woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if any lasting harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe, unquote. Exodus chapter 21 verses 22 to 25. What is the situation? Two men were fighting. During the course of the scuffle, one of the men struck the wife of the other. The result was that the woman gave birth to her child prematurely. At this point, I will rely on James Jordan's profound commentary on these laws in his Law of the Covenant. Reverend Jordan says, quote, We have to say that there is a certain vagueness in this law, which enables it to cover several similar but slightly different situations. The particular case indicates that a bystander has been hit, but there is no harm. We are not told explicitly whether the harm is to the woman or to her child or to both, but there can be no question that the harm could be either to the woman or to her child, since both are referred to immediately prior to the phrase. Moreover, the Bible always considers the child in the womb to be fully alive, a person in the fullest sense, so that if the child came out dead or damaged, that would constitute harm to the child. The situation, as described in verse 22, is that the woman is late in pregnancy and, as a result of the blow, is caused to deliver the child prematurely. But neither the child nor the mother is harmed by the blow. In this case, the husband of the woman is permitted to sue his wife's assailant in court. The judges oversee the suit to make sure that the payment required is not excessive. Verse 23 goes on to say that if there is harm, either to mother or child, then the assailant must pay a more severe penalty. Life for life means that if either the mother or the child is killed, the assailant must also be put to death. The position of this law, after the mandatory death penalties of verses 12 to 20, 
but before the provision of compensation in verses 29 and 30, indicates that compensation is not permissible in this case. The Bible is clear, unquote. The Bible is clear. Life in the womb is just that, a human life. Only God has the authority to say what should be done with this life. Reverend Jordan goes on to make a striking application of this biblical law to the whole question we're trying to answer. Quote, In either situation, the unborn child is considered a person and is avenged. The biblical penalty for abortion is mandatory death. The physician responsible for performing the abortion is a murderer and should be put to death. Since at least two people are always involved in it, abortion is conspiracy to commit murder and the mother, the physician, the anaesthetist, the nurses and the father or boyfriend or husband who pay for it all are involved in the conspiracy and all should be put to death for conspiracy to commit murder. Until the anti-abortion movement in America is willing to return to God's law and advocate the death penalty for abortion, God will not bless the movement. God does not bless those who despise his law just because pictures of assaulted infants make them sick. End quote. Exactly. The judge of the living and the dead condemns the judges of the infamous Roe versus Wade. That's why abortion is wrong. Biblical law answers the question, who owns life? Summary. 1. I've attempted to answer a critical question for the family. Who owns life? If man does, then the family is viciously killed through the murder of its own children. I introduced the chapter with the case, Roe versus Wade, that illustrates this point. If God owns life, however, then the family must be protected by civil law. In a sense, there is no question who owns the family, because there is no doubt about the sovereign owner of everything. God owns life. His laws are clear. A fetus is a human being. Anyone who attacks it always ends up fighting God. Two, I listed two devastating effects of Roe versus Wade. A, pregnancy, life, is viewed as worse than death. B, people, unborn infants, are executed every day without due process. Three, I briefly summarised the biblical law found in Exodus chapter 21, verses 22 to 25, which categorically condemns all of those involved in a conspiracy to murder. Rest assured that God will win the battle, but it will be up to people who will read and believe God's word to enforce God's law. God's law is based on lex talionis, an eye for an eye. What this really means is that God always exacts restitution. One way or the other, God gets his restitution. It's like the old minister who preached on tithing and said, God always gets the tithe. If he doesn't get it in money, then he gets payment in hides. That's right. God always collects his restitution. One way or another, God will avenge the deaths of his innocent ones. Who knows? Maybe the horrible sexual diseases, AIDS, herpes, etc. are a judgment on our nation for the horrible sin of abortion. God owns life and he'll never let man forget it.
one way or the other. In the next chapter, I want to discuss the whole question of sexual privacy. Did you know that recent rulings on the matter directly affect your family? Want to know what they are? Want to know how to protect yourself? Let's continue our study of who owns the family with the question, who owns sexual privacy?